Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. Where, along with my partners, Ann and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. Winnie. Did you get my message? This is your order? I knew it was the only way I was going to get to see you tonight. So are we still on for dinner? In the night. So the timing on this interview couldn't be better. As yesterday, I hit the insane to me age of 60, and I've been reflecting so much on my life in the 1960s and 70s growing up, and I came upon a photo that my brother found from my bar mitzvah, which was 47 years ago yesterday, and there I am dancing with a girl who at age 13, I had this incredible crush on, and obviously different storyline, but ever since the late 80s and the Wonder Years hit the scene, I kind of always referred to that particular girl as my Winnie Cooper. And today I actually have the honor of speaking to the real Winnie, Danica McKellar. And the really cool thing though about Danica, besides her acting, which we'll, which we'll talk about, which is wonderful, is so fascinating that a passion that I've had for so many years, which is financial literacy and helping bring financial literacy to the state of New Jersey, mandated in schools and being on the board of education and And you've had this huge impact on so many young girls on a problem that just doesn't add up, right? I mean, to a little pun there, but we've had a problem in America for years with kids being behind other countries in math scores, and especially girls, because they tended to shy away from math in middle school. Well, along comes Danica, fresh from graduating uh, summa cum laude from UCLA, and yes, co-authoring a groundbreaking physics theorem you know, like Einstein kind of stuff. I'm not even going to try to figure it out. But she decided it was time to do something about this problem. And boy, has she ever challenging the stereotypes. Now she's got 10 New York Times bestselling books. She's become a role model everywhere. Danica also runs McKellar Math, which gives kids the tools they need to succeed in math and to build the confidence that comes from being smart. Her passion has already helps so many kids and families get through the stress of learning math together. And Danica, as I said, has had three New York Times bestsellers with the coolest titles ever. I mean, who isn't going to buy these books? Math Doesn't Suck, Kiss My Math, and Girls Get Curves, which I have not read, but I'm assuming it's geometry. It's geometry. (laughs) (laughs) And now has published her 10th book, which is really, really wonderful, which is called The Times Machine. I know we're on audio, but I'm holding it up anyway because it's just so cool. It's The Times Machine. Learn multiplication and division like yesterday. Danica, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So let me start by kind of a little bit off topic, but I really love your Motivational Monday social media show. I feel you've really developed, and this is what I love when people do this on social media the right way, a community of people that are really helping each other on so many issues. And I'm curious, was that something that you started after COVID began or were were you doing that before? I've actually been doing it for a long time. I haven't, I never kept track. So I call it McKellar Motivational Mondays, although sometimes it's not on a Monday if I'm really busy working that day. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Whatever's going on, 
but it's really just a, a live broadcast. Usually these days it's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter slash Periscope all at the same time. And um, just, we, we just, we pick a topic to, to discuss that's going to, you know, give us a better perspective on life for the week, whatever it is. Usually, sometimes it has something to do with what's going on in the world, but oftentimes it doesn't. It's really about, hey, how do you deal with unresolved anger towards someone, for example? Mm, and I'll bring right. out my favorite quotes, which is holding on to resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> you know, just like little tidbits that I've just learned throughout my life. And I've always, I've always loved, uh, when I was 14 years old, I had an advice column called Dear Danica. I've always considered whatever experiences that I've had in life and whatever. And I'm, a, I'm an observer. I'm a scientist really at heart. Right. right. And so I like observing and seeing, well, what, what is going on? What makes us do this or think this way when it really, this other way of thinking or doing things would be more helpful. And, and so that's sort of analytical part of my brain, but also I've got a lot of compassion, you know, I'm an actress and very empathetic and I want people to feel good. So I sort of combine those two things and it's just, it's on my schedule. It's on my terms it's just me going live for free. And mm. I love it. People said, Oh, you should like start a podcast. You should start I'm like, you know what? Right. I don't want anything that organized. Right. If, no. if I'm, if I'm available at eight in the morning to do one, great. If I'm available at 9 PM, great. Whoever's on catches me. Great. If they're not around, they'll, they'll catch it in the rerun. Cause I always post, you know, what I had right. done. Uh, and I just love inspiring people. Right. And you, and it's very organic, which is, I think, why it works so well. And you bring in, you bring in all, and you bring in a lot of great charities too, which is terrific. Like for child trafficking, I know you, you know, that's something that's been important to you. And I just love how, how you tie that in. So I was thinking about social media in general, and Danica has a 10 year old son named Draco, who is named after the constellation, not the Harry Potter. That's Oops, right. kids, let's get that. Let's get that straight. He's 10, for example. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll ask you a, a general social media question, but I do a lot of music on the show, interview a lot of musicians. And when I saw the Eddie Van Halen tribute that your son did playing <laughs> jump on the piano and I'm a keyboard player, I, that's not easy to do. I mean, no, that's he, like, that's really not easy to do. That's just, yeah. that blew me, that blew me away. I know I'm his mom, but he's extremely talented and I really can't take much credit for it. Um, his dad is a piano player, my ex-husband and mm-hmm. he's teaching Draco and they, they do lessons all the time. We homeschool Draco. Uh, but to be honest, most of the homeschooling that goes on over at his dad's, I shouldn't say that he's going to get mad mm-hmm. at this, but a lot of the homeschooling is piano and it's That's fantastic. Okay. It's it's more than okay. I love it. He really can play. It's mind boggling to me right. and I'm so proud of him. And what happened when, when Eddie Van Halen died and I was going on social media to, I, uh, I was just going online to, to think, okay, well, what do I, you know, um, what's his favorite song of mine? I just want to make sure I know which one it is so that I mm-hmm. can write something on social media. And I'm not kidding you. While I was doing that in the other room, he started playing Jump. Now, this is one of the songs that he's learned. He doesn't, he doesn't know a lot of songs, but that's one of them. Right. He knows really well. And but the fact that he started playing that as I was Googling Eddie Van Halen's popular songs, I tears sprung to my I couldn't believe it. And I just I just took my phone into the room where he was playing and started recording him. And um, and he didn't even know that Eddie Van Halen had died. And then after he played, I explained to him what was going on. Wow. I, yeah, I know. I oh, know. my God. That's I, like, that's. I know. And I said, I said, um, Draco, will you just say thank you, Van Halen? And he just got emotional and said, thank you, Van Halen. Oh. It, was, it was so beautiful. It was one of those moments where I just knew what I had to do. I was like, oh, no, this, I'm not going to write something for Van Halen. This is yeah. 
Now, I, I, ta- I tagged a number of the musicians that I know. Um, Ricky Bird, who was in um, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, and he retweeted it. And Steve Van Zandt, who I know very well, who actually he and Bruce did a great version of Jump uh, on, on, on a recent tour. They threw that in. So it was just it was just really great. I, I love that. But the question I was going to ask you really as a, as, as a mom, kind of, how do you handle the social media thing? Now he's 10, you're getting, you're getting to that age where they're, they're getting iPhones and, and they're, you know, they're, they're obviously that she has a mom that's involved in social media. So how, how, do, how do you work that as a parent? He does not have a phone yet. He did have a phone for a little while, but it wasn't for social media. It was because of some trips that were going on abroad mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, actually. And he never really got into it, which was totally good with me. And we've not gotten him a new phone. He wants a phone. Uh, I don't think he needs one yet. Mm-hmm. And when he does get one, I'm going to guess in a couple of years, I might have a no social media rule. I haven't quite figured it out. Look, I watched The Social Dilemma, okay? And, right, uh, yeah. I just, that was, uh, yeah. it blew me away. It's, yeah. It was eye-opening. That was before we canceled Netflix. Uh, right. We canceled Netflix over the cuties thing. Right. I, I just keep hoping they take it down because I miss Netflix. But no, I, and you appeared on a Netflix series, but you you know yeah. you you did yeah. the right thing. That that was that was unacceptable. Sometimes um, you got to do what's what yeah. you need. Know, right? So keep keeping. Yeah. Just, yeah. just I'm gonna keep it at bay uh, mm-hmm. a little bit there. <laughs> take your time, really. I mean, you know, my kids were just sort of growing up as it all was beginning, and and it was really very very difficult to figure out that transition, and it's much harder now for uh, for parents. So I wanted to keep current for a moment because during this pandemic times, one of the things that's really, I find a really upsetting issue, and actually my niece, Jamie Bedrin, who teaches broadcasting at, at Columbia and Montclair University, and she was on NPR, we were talking about this, and she she's actually your age and grew up with, with the Wonder Years. And, and she said, oh, I'd love for you to ask this question. And it's so funny because I had already written it. So it's no secret that women have seen a setback in careers during this whole pandemic, especially with kids home all the time. And and I guess from your perspective, and again, you've been homeschooling your son already, but what do you think women can do to regain traction that may have been lost due to this pandemic? Because the numbers, the numbers are staggering. There's like 30% of women that just like are out of the workforce. I didn't know about yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I think Wall Street Journal did a big feature on it about a week ago, and it's really really upsetting. I mean, I thought. I mean, I know a lot of people have lost their jobs. Yeah, well, it's not so much about. Well, that's part of the problem. It's not so much of the the job lost by the man or the woman, but suddenly the woman, and this is you know old-time stereotyping from uh, Father Knows Best Days or something or Donna Reed, but you know suddenly the woman's got to handle everything, and so. The, you know, and she may may or may not have been laid off, but she's taking on more. And then she's deciding if the husband has the job to, to suddenly leave. And I mean, I just hope it's a blip. And okay, that's, here's the thing. Here, here's yeah. a key word in there. Deciding. She's deciding to spend more time at home with the kids to solve the issue. Right. She She's deciding. And that's an important word. Yes, that is. And it should be that way, of course. And, and there will be blessings, I am sure, mm-hmm. for spending more time with their kids. I'm not worried, really, it's the long and the short of it. It's a decision. I, I, don't, I don't see this as setting women back at all. If anything, maybe it's showing them how they can be more involved with their kids' lives than they thought. I mean, I, I think families are going through a huge reaction to a huge shockwave of, of this total change in lifestyle that mm-hmm. we're all dealing with at the same time. 
look at all the solutions uh, working from home that never existed before, where you kind of can juggle things more, figuring out how to how to have childcare and at home while you're working in one room. And there, I mean, and I, I've heard there's a huge shift in home ownership of people, everyone trying to upgrade to a slightly bigger house to put on workplace for the work-life balance happening more in the home. Oh, absolutely. That's that's yeah. happening here in, in where I am in Westfield, New Jersey. We've had the biggest boom in housing, you know, in the 30 years I've lived in this town because everybody's left the city and yeah. they just, they want the bigger house and they want to be able to do all of these different things. Yeah, no, the cities are going to become a little emptier, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting transition, but I don't see it as a step back for women. I could be wrong. Good. I don't. I don't. I, I don't. I don't think it will be. I just. The, I found that article really, really upsetting. And um, you, look, I, you know what I've learned about the media? They like to upset us. The media likes to upset us because it keeps us tuning in. And right. I refuse to be upset by another article and feature. And it's, I, I, I'm like, I'm over it. Good. You can make a sensational story about anything. You can take the facts and you can build two completely separate, technically true stories out of both of them. Um, there's just too many things that I've seen in the last couple of years, especially where I'm like, yeah, that's not how it went down. And uh, everybody thinks something else. So that's that's the power of the media and spinning a story. So no, without, without a doubt. I know exactly. So, you know, one of the things that I I love most about doing the podcast is is what I learned from my days working for Larry King and and being friends with Larry for so many years and and I learned about the ability of being curious and hearing stories that others will not only enjoy but really learn something useful like like for example what you do on on the motivational uh, channel that you're running. So, if I was walking my dog listening to this podcast, I would want me to find out about your journey. So after all, America may have watched you grow up as a young teenager, um, but they don't know your story that, that that got you to that point and there. So you you grew up in Southern California, right? Yes. And before we before we dive into that, I want to make sure, because you've talked a lot about the motivational money, but how do people find it? Just in case they're interested, it's on my, it's on my social media and my social media is super easy to find. I'm just at Danica McKellar, spelled A-R at the end in case you didn't know. But it's like, it's Instagram, that's my handle. Same with Twitter, same with uh, Facebook and TikTok for that matter, but TikTok. Good. (laughs) (laughs) TikTok TikTok is just, I'm just using TikTok as a super fun way to make little and crazy little entertaining videos. It's not about my motivational stuff. No, no, no. It's important, important, yeah. How do I find that? Exactly. And we're going to, we're also going to link certainly to all your social media. So you grew up in Southern California. Um, what did, what did your folks do for a living? My dad, um, still is a real mm-hmm. estate developer and, mm-hmm. and, um, he does commercial and, um, residential buildings mm-hmm. and structures. He's been doing that forever. My mom was a professional dancer and then she was a homemaker and now she is a meditation instructor. They both were wonderful parents, never put any pressure on me to succeed. Never. They just, they just were great examples of good human beings and really kept our priorities straight jumping ahead just a little when my sister and I, Crystal, she and I started taking acting classes because it seemed fun. And then when I got the Wonder Years, that very first year we were nominated for an Emmy and my parents were so great at keeping the priorities straight. So we were invited, of course, to attend the Emmys that year, but we had a, a trip planned with my dad. It was me, my sister and my dad. We were supposed to go on a river rafting trip, camping thing. Mm-hmm. And we went on the trip. Like that's 
we went on the trip and we, and the night, so remember we it was started, it was uh, the Rogue River in Oregon mm-hmm. and we went, we stayed at this cheap little motel because my dad mm-hmm. does not like spending money. So <laughs> cheap little motel, a tiny little TV screen that must've been from the 1970s. I still remember that super <laughs> curved. This was an, this was an 89. Yeah. Um, the TV was not of the era. Yeah. yeah. It was a Wonder Years set prop. Wonder Years yeah, set. Yeah. And I remember we watched the Emmys. Right. We watched Wonder Years win for best comedy right. series. We jumped mm-hmm. up and down the bed. Yay, we won. I woke up at five in the morning or whatever and got on the river and had the trip of our lives. And I, I, I mean, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the trip and I'll never forget what that taught me about memories, about what was important. That's and a that word. is just a great example of how my parents really kept me grounded and allowed for the life that I have because it's hard enough coming off of a series thinking that your value comes from the character you played and comes from that great thing you did. But now, now what, who am I now? And I certainly went through a version of that myself, which helped to lead me to mathematics, but having that kind of foundation where the priorities were health, family, education, and everything else came after that. That's, that's, that's fantastic. And having lived in and worked in the industry for a couple of years in the eighties, I know how rare that is, especially with child actors, definitely with child actors. You and your sister had both auditioned, I believe for Wonder Years, I think. Yes. Yes, we did. And Mm -hmm. they liked us both. It came down to the two of us and they offered Crystal a role. Um, She played Becky Slater on the show. Right. Right. Well, I always had had a thing for Becky Slater being a Slater. So that was uh, uh, that was before Saved by the Bell when there was another Slater. So we've we Slaters have made a lot of appearances in uh, in television <laughs> over the years. And and again, it was supposed to be uh, just for the pilot. And obviously, yes. the pilot was so successful. It was just it's really one of the most beautiful episodes. One of the most beautiful pilots, actually, that's out there. Um, you know, I was doing some research on this episode and I found this rather interesting I don't mean this offensive to Regis Philbin, but it was kind of a creepy video in, in some ways, but it was kind of a behind the scenes video. And I really love Regis Philbin and there's nothing personal, but it was just, it was a little strange at times. But one of the things that, that jumped out to me that I loved is that he was talking to you while you were actually doing some math work. I think you were doing geometry and, and, you know, you were, you were, you could see that you were just sitting there and you were working hard. And, and then he pivoted to ask you about the first kiss with Kevin or something, or do you have a crush on Fred Savage or, you know, whatever he needed to ask at the time. But looking back on that, do you feel that you got a better education on the set for those three hours a day than you would have in your hometown middle school? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I went, I was at Harvard Westlake, so it was a pretty good um, prep school. Right. Uh, but I will say that the, the, the producers of the Wonder Years did invest in really good tutors for me so that I had, I didn't, I didn't lose much for being, um, you know, at the set school. But the thing is the role of Winnie Cooper didn't actually work as much as you think she did. There'd be full episodes that I wasn't even in. And then oftentimes I was only in one or two days that week. So I went to my normal school most of the time up until the last season, the last season, um, season six, they suddenly I was in almost every episode, maybe every episode. And I missed a lot of school, but by then, you know, I mean, I was a senior and the producers hired a calculus tutor for me, which was key because calculus was the one class that was difficult to teach yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you can, but, um, that was, that was great to have that. So it, it worked out really well. And it, I feel like maybe in that last year that I got more one-on-one tutoring with the calculus than I would have because they hired a specific person just for me, just for my math. 
and where he was a math major in some other university nearby. And so he was literally a math mm-hmm. major teaching me calculus. Yeah. So that was, that was extremely useful. Oh, but absolutely. Yeah. yeah one, one of the things that, that I learned, one of the skill sets that I learned being on, um, being on a set and doing school and going back and forth and back and forth, whether it's back and forth to my real school and set or back and forth between doing a scene and going to the set school and having to switch my brain from one to the other has really led me to the career that I have today, so many years later, where I go back and forth between being an actress, doing my Hallmark Channel movies. I literally just came back last week, Saturday, actually, this past Saturday right. from Canada, where I'm shooting, I was just shooting my Christmas movie for this year for Hallmark Channel. And I'm in the middle of working on the book, a book that comes out in 2022. So I've got, you know, and before I left, I was work, you know, doing promotion for the times machine and, and going back and forth between acting and something more academic and something that I'm very used to. And I, I was sort of raised doing that. And I love the fact that that has now helped me with my life today. Of course, the whole motherhood aspect is totally new and, and, uh, of course, nothing prepares you for No, but but you had good role models and that's, that's, that's a big, that's a big deal. It's really a big deal. You know, speaking of academics, another great wonder years episode I love is where I think you're sitting at the lunch table and you tell Kevin your SAT scores, basically kind of crushing his soul as you scored so much better. And, you know, that scene always, I found really interesting because, you know, for some reason, I think I may hold the lowest math scores in, in New Jersey history still. I'm not really sure. Kept me out of Northwestern, which I had went to an acting program with and wanted to go there. So it just bothered me, you know, and of course, here, here it is 42 years later, it still bothers me, but I can relate to that whole period of life. And, and now that you're a mom yourself, um, I'm curious what your thoughts are just in general about standardized tests. Is the outcome worth the stress and the anxiety? Well, I think here's how I feel about just anything stressful is that some of that is good for you. I feel like we need, why did I become a math major? I really love the challenge. It's like if somebody says that's really difficult and you, and you're able to say, well, it's a good thing I got me on my side. You're better prepared for life. And, and something like the SAT, you know, we're a few years out still for, for Draco studying for that. Sure. sure. But, but just in the idea that, oh my gosh, there's this big thing we've got to study for. And yes, it's a little bit stressful, but there's stuff you can do. There, there, there are steps you can take. There are tons of resources out there and courses you can take. And even if, the score itself isn't that indicative of your skill set or whatever it is. And it shouldn't be used as a metric for determining, okay, maybe, maybe not. But what a great opportunity to practice that, ooh, a big scary thing's coming up and I'm going to be ready for it because I'm putting in the time and effort. I like that. That sort of appeals to me. But then I'm a big nerd. <laughs> so I know I don't necessarily, uh, not everyone's going to agree with me, but I feel like just, just like that. Kids have to be in math class, right? And even every math test kids take is another opportunity like that. And that's part of why I believe in math so much. And I believe in that it's worth it to put in that time to get good at math. It's why I write books to make it fun to do along the way, because why wouldn't you want it to be fun while you're doing it? Exactly. The idea that it's a challenge is the, that is the gift of mathematics. It's not just that it's going to make you more financially savvy or help you, you know, prepare you for better paying jobs or it's all that stuff is great, but also it trains your brain to say, wow, look at this tough thing ahead of me. I'm going to be ready for it. I'm going to work hard and I'm not going to let it scare me. And that that skill is so important in life. 
And, and, and kids, when they're young, they need to prepare for that life. Because guess what? Life keeps throwing stuff at us, right? Am I right? Come yeah. on. Uh, every day. Every and, day. And that, yes. And that feeling of it's a good thing I got me on my side. And, and that, yeah. that fear, that confidence that comes from feeling smart is what I believe the biggest benefit of math and my books really is. It's not about learning the skills and getting an A, although that's all great, but it's showing yourself that you can do something that you thought maybe you couldn't, and now you can. And you teach yourself that you're stronger and smarter than you thought. And that skill set is something that nobody else can give you. Nobody can pay for it to give you, your parents. You have to build it yourself and nobody can take it away, most importantly. And that's something that you can have with you. It's a good thing I have me on my side. Absolutely. And that, and is, I, what, I, that, <laughs> that is the gift of, of, of mathematics. And that is, and why I write my books to be of silly titles and cartoons and graphics and all sorts of stuff. It's just to make it a more pleasant experience. Of course. Uh, but the, but it's, it's about learning this stuff and feeling confident from your inside, building that internal fortitude. That's what I want to give these kids. Mm, and that's clearly what you're doing. So you mentioned something that kind of led me to where I was going next about being financially savvy. And, and I'm curious how you learned about investing, for example. As a child star, I'm sure, obviously, great parents, sure they did the right thing, helped you save for your future. But I, I, I'd be curious to hear your take on this problem because I, as a financial advisor, um, people think I manage money. I really manage expectations. But I spend a lot of time with with millennials and I spend a lot of time with Gen Zers and Gen Xers that are just getting their first 401k plans and are just sort of getting into that world. And that hasn't changed. Honestly, in the last 25 years, I, I still see the same issues and the same excuses, so to speak, from a lot of, and this is men and women alone. This is like a way, way across the board. Oh, my girlfriend knows she's helping me. Oh, my dad's helping me. What is, I, I don't know anything about a 401k. So I'm just curious where you got that financial savvy, because it is it is uniquely different than, than, than mathematics. And if my job had to be mathematics purely, I wouldn't be doing it. I, I, that's not you know, what I like. I like people. So this is a, you know, this is a relationship business, but I just, your take on, on, you know, kind of financial investing and what you've learned over the years that you find helpful. I look, it's just, for me, it's just a philosophy of being conservative. I'm just conservative with my money. I save it. I mean, I like treasury bonds. I like <laughs> just save. I don't want to have to think about it. I just don't want to have to think about it. And I, I just, I've always been a saver when I finished the wonder years. I turned 18 around the same time, all that money was available to me and I just saved it. I bought my first condo when I was 25 and I could have bought one sooner. I just didn't because I was, I don't know, I was not thinking about it, but I knew that, but I had the money saved already. I've always been super conservative with, with my money. I've always wanted to save more. I just, I don't know. I guess I get it from my dad. I, I think it's instinctive. I didn't learn it mm -hmm. per se. It might might lead to another whole set of books because it's really it, it, there's a gap there. There's just a tremendous gap in in youth and and people that are just starting to work on having any understanding at all. And I'm not again. I'm not saying there's a right way to do it. This is not even about investing. It's just kind of the basics, and I mean, a lot honestly, of it is just not taught. I think it comes down to don't spend more money than you have. Right. Don't spend more money if you can't pay off your credit card right now then you shouldn't have spent that money. I have never spent more money than I could pay off right then. And I would give that advice to anyone. Just don't spend money you don't have. No. I think if you don't spend money you don't have, you're going to be fine. Because when you spend money you don't have, you are now paying all sorts of extra money 
you never would have had to because now you're paying for fees and your you know your APR and look at that. Take a look at how much that actually cost you that thing you just bought. If you go to mckellarmath.com and click on fun links, I have all these videos and one of them, so I did a little little mini web series called Math Bites and I'm thinking trying to think of which I think oh, it was the percents episode. Mm-hmm. If you go to, if you just scroll down to the math bites and look for the percents episode, I give a really funny demonstration of how much you end up spending for things if you don't pay it off in 10 years or whatever. It's insane. You should check and, it out. And that's the best advice you could give because the, the biggest problem, and a, a friend of mine has written books on kids and money, Neil Godfrey, for many years called Money Doesn't Grow on Trees. You know, she always talked about growing up in generations where, you know, nobody talked about money. It was easier to talk about sex in many households than it was about money. And, you know, that hasn't even changed that much. And it's so important from a parenting standpoint. And that's something we worked really hard on um, with our kids. And I think, you know, it's rewarding. And, And it's really gone full circle because now you have kids that grew up watching you that are now parents themselves and, you know, you, you help them maybe with understanding a little bit about teenagehood with, with great writing on, on your show, as well as great acting. And now you're helping them teach their own kids math, which I would imagine has got to be really rewarding. It's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. I mean, that's, you know, when I first wrote my first book, Math Doesn't Suck, back in 2007, and it was this incredible overnight success. Like, well, you say overnight success, of course, the book took a year and a half to write. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that, suddenly it was it was everywhere. I was on, I was in Newsweek. I was, I was the person of the week on ABC World News. I mean, it was crazy. The response was so, so welcoming. And I realized, wow, this was really an untapped market. Nobody had done this. Nobody had written a book to not just talk about, Hey girls, we can do this, but also teach them how to do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here's some really, here's some easy ways to remember these formulas and these techniques. But then also to have to include all the little, you know, advice and things that I give. And I've got a glamorous picture of me on the cover. And and just to show, hey, you can be a girly girl and be super smart. You don't have to choose between being the smart girl and being the popular. I mean, just be you. Be you right. and be empowered by this ability to do mathematics. Don't dumb yourself down because you think it's going to make you more popular and glamorous. You want to be glamorous? Instead of picturing yourself as the vacant-eyed model, although guess what? They got contracts they got to read too. But picture yourself as the woman on Wall Street with her four-inch heels and a designer briefcase going to her her kick-ass job and making a difference in the world and making it, making a splash. And that's that's the kind of glamour I wanted girls to aspire to. And, and that had such a great response in part because all the parents of girls remember me growing up. And so they already had an association. Oh, we liked Winnie Cooper. She always seemed like she kind of had it together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not like my character, but you know, it's been, um, it's been really wonderful. And all the book signings, all the, you know, parents coming through the line with their kids saying, Oh my gosh, I just, I loved you growing up. And it's so amazing to see my daughter just, you know, drinking this math and like, she's just, She's, she used to be so afraid of it and you've made it so friendly and so accessible. And, and I want to say something else about, about this weird vacancy in the, in the marketplace. So Common Core Math started in 2011, 2012, really right. got hold. And this is where there's new ways of doing things like addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And they're, you know, overly complicated. They're very visual and they've got, I think it's, you know, there are ups and downs to it. But when that happened, I was just sure that somebody would write books to help parents and kids navigate these new methods 
I was I was in my eight book deal with with Random House kids, and I you know these books take a long time to put together. And I thought, well, do not open this math. So do not open this math book is a book that came out two years ago, and it's addition and subtraction, and it's really tackles the common core way of doing it, but shows you both ways. So it's a great, and it's even got a new math translation guide for grownups in the back. Just like the time machine. Thank God. So, right? So, because <laughs> yeah. the vocabulary is different, a lot right. changed. This book came out in 2018. Nobody else came out with a book between 2011 and 2018. Nobody. It stunned me. I couldn't believe it. I, because I kept looking it up to see, because I want to make sure I wasn't overlapping what somebody else is doing. Nobody did it, let alone like a fun one. I mean, there were some YouTube videos. They were kind of like whatever, but not like a resource where you go, okay, here's my resource and it's fun and it's colorful and it explains things well and I can refer to it at any time and go through it with my kid. And so do not open this math book is addition subtraction. It's like age, it's like first and second grade. And then the times machine that you mentioned already, that's Mm -hmm. for third and fourth, fifth grade. It's is multiplication and division. And it's the same thing. It's got the new math translation guide for grownups at the back. It teaches you both ways of doing stuff. Um, The crazy kooky, you know, long division place value chart along with, you know, long division, like we learned it. <laughs> so it shows you, and I show you how they're, they're really the same thing. They're just dressed up differently. You're doing the same thing. You're taking a big chunk of value and you're splitting it up chunk by chunk, starting with the biggest chunks first until you get to zero or a remainder. And it's, it's all the same thing. It's just looks different. So, but in looking different, that's intimidating. It's intimidating to parents and kids. And there's actually been quite a few funny TikToks I've noticed lately mm-hmm. about parents going, what? Because now they're trying to help their kids with school more than ever. Right. Right. Like, I'm not doing, we're not doing multiplication like this. Here's how we did it when I was growing up. Exactly. Exactly. There's a real need for showing yeah. both ways and showing how to go from one to the other and bridging that gap. No, and that's what's so wonderful about all of your books, but we'll talk a little bit about The Times Machine in, in a minute because I love how you had that in the, in the end of the book. But you said something earlier which 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 really struck a nerve because I had the um, Butch Patrick who played Eddie Munster on a couple of months ago. And one of the things you mentioned, which I thought was so interesting, is how you know he felt stuck in that one character and it took him years to find his value. And you were able to find your value pretty much right after school. So- did you know when you started UCLA, did you walk in there and think, yeah, mathematician? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I got to, went to UCLA a few months after the Wonder Years ended, and my plan was to be a film major because I wanted to tackle the other side of the camera. But for the first few years, you have to take all your general requirements, and one of them I could fulfill with a calculus class. And I, I felt a little intimidated by it because I thought that college math would be somehow very different from high school math, even though I'd taken... AP Calculus BC and got enough five on it, by the way, which is the highest score you can get. I still thought that college math was beyond me, which I really truly believe is just because I didn't look the part. There were no books like Math Doesn't Suck that had come out. Mm-hmm. Me, exactly. somebody who's good at math, honestly, was like an Asian male. I mean, if mm-hmm. I can be totally honest. And that is who was mostly in the calculus classes. <laughs> but I just, I just have always liked a good challenge. And so I thought, you know what? Gosh darn it. I'm going to take a calculus class and just see how it goes. Totally felt like I was going to be out of place. And then, you know, that first big midterm came along and I've I've told this story before, maybe you've heard it, but I studied so hard for that first midterm, studied all my high school notes. Yes, I still had all my high school calculus notes because that's, I told you I'm a nerd. (laughs) And I knew that they were easy to, because I'd written them myself. I knew I would go back and they'd make sense. So I took that first exam and I thought that I'd failed it. And I got, I got a, a 22 out of 40, which I, you know, you'd think was failing. However, I guess it was some sort of a weeder test because out of 163 students, 
There's only one person who got a 22, and that was me. Two people got a 15, and it was nine and below. And because the professor graphed the scores on the chalkboard, not with names, mm-hmm. just graphed to show how everybody had done, which that had never happened before and has never happened since in my life, where a professor graphed the scores on the chalkboard. I guess he was trying to prove a point like, you guys failed mostly. But mm-hmm. but he came up to me afterwards and said, you know, like you have a gift, you should, you should pursue this. I'm like, I, and I was just sort of blown away. And, and every day, every day on campus, people would say to me, aren't you that girl from the Wonder Years? Aren't you that girl who played Winnie Cooper? Mm-hmm. You know, you think you're going to move past something and then you, you don't because that's people love the show. I mean, it's not a bad thing. But that next day after that exam, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, aren't you? And this is in the math class. I'm sure that girl who got the 22. And it blew <laughs> my mind. I couldn't believe it. And it was so symbolic of the ability to get my values from somewhere else, not from like the character of Winnie Cooper. And that was sort of the beginning of my love and obsession with math. And for a while, I thought it was going to be a double major film and math. And then after a while, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do math. I can always go back and study film. I can always do a short film later, which I ended up doing. But I'm never going to go back and study math. I just knew that. It'd be too hard to do. So I thought, yeah, let me do math now. And I obviously, I loved it. Yeah. And not, you don't just love it. You actually have called it a beautiful art form, which is just really, you know, I mean, that's not something people typically say about math. What did you mean by that? Is that something from working with certain professors that just, you know, you developed? Yeah, it's, you know, so there's different types of math. I mean, there's applied mathematics, like the engineering majors do. I always preferred the pure math. So pure math, Actually, for a while at UCLA, it was actually considered a Bachelor of the Arts, not a Bachelor of the Science. And it's because when you're studying pure math, it's really about the numbers and the patterns. And it's really the beauty and the crystalline structure of math and and in calculus, dealing with infinity and things like that you don't deal with in, in, in engineering so much because it's more practical. Right. I never liked the practical math as much. And I never even did very well in physics. I minored in physics because I was so mad that it was such a challenge for me. So I went, <laughs> I went ahead and minored in, in physics because that's just the kind of person I am. I get really stubborn and don't like to get beaten. And I did fine in physics. I ended up getting, you know, an A, but it was a, it was a, it was a tough road. I, I remember I was taking literally graduate level courses in mathematics and sophomore physics as a senior and I was in the physics tutoring center trying to like grab my brain around some of the stuff. Whereas in math, it wasn't easy, but it came, it made, it made sense. It was, it was a challenge that I knew how to overcome at each step of the way. It was, it was just different. So what's the, uh, what's the background behind the, as it's known, there's a longer name, but the Chase McKellar wind theorem, were there certain professors that, just, you know, obviously saw this in you and, 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 and kind of motivated you to, to go after this. And yeah, and, yes. Uh, a professor named Lincoln Shays, who's still at UCLA. Right. He, um, and there's an, a student named Brandy Wynn, who was a good friend of mine. And we still, we stay in touch a little, but in fact, you know what? I should like call her. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she's in Chicago. So the three of us would find ourselves in the office hours quite often. So office hours, you know, the professor has office hours when after class or whenever for asking questions. I always had questions and I always wanted to learn more and, and same with Brandy and Brandy and I ended up becoming really good friends and taking all the same math classes together. And this professor said, Hey, you know, you two seem like you would enjoy doing some original research. And there's a problem, a more generalized version of a problem that uh, a theorem that I proved that I think might be provable. And I can 
teach you guys everything you need to know in order to approach that. And so we did that for like nine months. We, we took an extra class from him, an unofficial class and learned everything to understand everything that he did to prove the theorem that he'd already published. And then he sort of guided us along the way to proving the, the new more generalized version of it, the Ashton Teller model. And along the way he would say, okay, well, I see what you're doing, but don't dig over here. Try digging over there instead. I'm like, okay. So then we'd try that. And, and Brandy and I, we would go to each other's houses. I remember pretty much 11 to 11 every day over that summer. And until we worked it out and we would, the thing is when you're proving a new math theorem and we were working by the way, under a stipend and we were being paid mathematicians because there's mm-hmm. tons of money out there. If you are in, in college and you are female and, or if you are from an ethnic minority group, you can get paid to do research. Like that's, it was easy. People are thinking, you know, it's hard. No, 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 no. If you, if you are a lesser represented group and you want to study math or science, there's money for you. Just a little tidbit out there for mm-hmm. anyone listening. And we would, uh, we would just work really hard. And there'd be some times where we'd go for two days going down the wrong road and end up we're in a place where we realized it was impossible for that to be the way to prove it. And we would end up just like in a fit of giggles. Like you'd have the absurdity of the whole thing. You just, it was so fun. It was really a lot of fun. It was a great like exploring. It was like being adventurers on, on a back road and you didn't know where it was going to lead you. No, absolutely. And, and uh, I, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but is there kind of a Reader's Digest version of explaining what it's all about? I read through a little bit of it and there were, I did understand a couple words, but. Um. <laughs> yeah, look, it's so dense. I mean, even looking yeah. back on it now, I'm like, what was that? What was the, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's a very specific, math is like a tree where you've got the trunk of the tree and there's addition and subtraction, multiplication, division, and you start getting branches, these big, thick branches like geometry and algebra and things. And then at the very, very tips of these itty bitty little branches, that's where all the original research is being done. And one side will have nothing to do with the other side. And, and there's maybe 50 people who are working on that one little tip of the branch that you are in the whole world that would be interested even. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of So we were working on a mathematical model of magnetic material to answer your question. Right. And it was about the behavior of the magnetic material, really the magnetization of it at certain temperatures. And there are critical temperatures above which it won't magnetize permanently and below which it will. It was a ma- so there are a lot of mathematical models of things, and this was only a two-dimensional mathematical model of a real material. But what's what's fascinating is how useful that is, even though it's just a two-dimensional model of it. How much information right. is useful from it? So, acting mathematics similarities? None. Variety is the spice of life. That's the only beauty. similarity is discipline and fortitude to keep going, because in acting as a business. I mean, I'm going to knock on wood because my relationship with Hallmark Channel has been absolutely amazing and has provided very consistent work. But typically in the business, it is very challenging. You just got to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And uh, and sometimes you feel like you're hitting your head against the wall. And sometimes you wonder if it's worth it. And you just, you you have to have that kind of stamina. Mm-hmm. I mean, truthfully, even when you're working, I mean, I'm just right. shooting this movie. It's 16 hour days. And if you're the lead, like I was, you're doing like sometimes 10 pages of dialogue a day and you got to know your stuff and you're going from one scene to a totally different scene, totally different part of the movie. You got a quick change. You know, usually they have your wardrobe for you, like in a bathroom on the set where you are, like quickly change, come back out 
rehearse, you got to know your stuff and, and, and you got to be good and you don't have that many option chances of getting it right. And, and, uh, it's, it's a lot to do. It's a lot of work, but it, obviously I find it extremely rewarding. Oh, absolutely. And, and of course that, it goes without yeah. saying math is a lot of work. And sometimes, yeah. you, like, sometimes you feel like you're hitting your head, your head against the wall, but yeah. in terms of the content, they're completely different. And that's what I love about it. Did you ever think, you know, after doing the theorem, like, you know, maybe I'll go after, uh, I don't know, a Nobel in physics. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'm onto something there. Well, physics is not, physics is not my strong suit. It really isn't. <laughs> physics is, the mathematical uh-huh. model of physics wasn't as bad, but the actual physics itself, no, I'm not. Look, and here, and also to answer your question, the way that I've combined the two truly is my love of entertainment has helped me write very entertaining math books, which again, Nobody else seems to really be doing that. Very few people anyway. And I love that I can bring entertainment and laughter and silliness to something that can oftentimes be scary for kids. No, absolutely. And and let's let's get right into the times machine because it's it is so fun. It is so interactive and, and such a great way to teach younger kids. Second through fifth grade, is that kind of the target audience in this yeah, book? Yeah, anyone who's learning multiplication or division for sure. Mm-hmm. Your timing on the Times Machine book couldn't, I think, be any better. You know, as as we're all in this pandemic and so many schools are closed, and and like we said, so many parents are are now having to <laughs> sit down and kids even at younger ages and 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 look at this math that you brought it up, the Common Core, how different it is. And again, as someone who who worked on the Board of Ed and and, and found this as a struggle, you're able to just you know bring it bring it all to life. Um, bring it know, to life. That's the key. Yeah. Bring it to life, making it jump off the page and making kids laugh and, and giggle with their parents. And, and, and one of the, one of the things that I'm the most proud of in the times machine is the memorize. So memorizing multiplication facts is something that oftentimes gets pushed to the side and teachers are kind of hoping that kids will learn it at home maybe, or they'll just kind of learn it on their own because of common core and all the new methods they're being forced to teach. They don't have as much time for the kid to spend in, in class, simply helping their kids learn multiplication facts. And this is a super important skill. And I've been wanting to write the times machine for years. When I first signed my eight book deal with random house. So after my first four books, uh, this is a separate deal. This is back in 2014, 2013. That was the book I was the most excited about writing was the times machine, but they had this other order that they want to do things. In, and I totally understood that addition and subtraction should come first, but they wanted, even before then they wanted like good night numbers and 10 magic butterflies. They wanted the picture books to come out first. So that meant that it was going to be years before the times machine came out, which was a little frustrating, but I totally understood it. Point is I've been chomping at the bit to get this out there because kids need help memorizing the multiplication facts. And so in the times machine, it's a whole uh, middle section of the book called the core of the times machine. And that is breaking down all the multiplication facts that are hard to learn, like six times seven and eight times eight and all these ones that are with the bigger numbers. And I make up a story or a poem or both for every single one of those. So like, I mean, eight times eight, there are these two little octopus friends, right? Because it's eight, so it's octopus. So that's how you remember eight times eight. And their little suction cups are stuck to the floor. And they're little, they're like babies. So they don't really understand it. They just think it's a really sticky floor. So, and sticky floor sounds like 64. So that's, <laughs> one of, so that's kind of, you know, a way to memorize <laughs> like, they, all those stories. And then of course there's six times seven is 42. This mm-hmm. is one that my son helped me with. Oh. Um, and that is the Mr. Mouse. He's one of the characters who's both in Do Not Open This Math Book, the one for first and second graders and the times machine. Mr. Mouse, 
I mean, he's a mouse. He loves cheese. Right. So if you imagine he eats a six-sided block of cheese every day of a week, which is seven days. So let's take your six times seven. So he eats a six-sided block of cheese every day for seven days. At the end of that week, he gets pretty full and mm-hmm. farty too. <laughs> farty too. 42. And you're not going to forget the six times seven. Never. So this is, and this uh, had never been done. I'm like, why, why has anybody ever made silly stories to make kids laugh and right. bring it to life to memorize their freaking multiplication facts because they're so important to learn. And this is so, the way kids want to learn is with stories, you know, of course. And, and I, mean, I just look back at my own math history and never had a math teacher that inspired me at all. And I, I think I heard you say that you didn't initially, and then you had one that did a little bit, but it, cause that can make all the difference in the world, but not just that, but to be able to tell stories and, I, I personally think the creativity comes from from the you know your acting experience and everything that you know about that world and and the the dramatic side and that's what makes these books so much fun and the videos you know you're making videos about homeschooling tips right now um, right, which, yeah, so which parents, I really want to mention yeah parents who are struggling with homeschooling and I'm not sure who isn't <laughs> if you're interested on my Instagram my Instagram account if you and it's just at Danica McKellar if you go to my profile page. And there'll be circles. You'll see a bunch of circles all in a row. And one of them is called School at Home. If you click on that one, you'll see a bunch of little videos that I made with my son with sharing homeschooling tips that have helped us along the way. For years now, I've done it. So for us, we're one of the you know few households who are homeschool and he, who didn't have a transition during right. the pandemic. So I really felt that it was my responsibility to help other parents as well. Mm-hmm. What led you to homeschooling? What was... You know, what What was the kind of the, you know, the force that, that drove you in that direction, at I least mean, for now? There were a few things. I knew that I was traveling a lot for work probably. And, uh, but more than that, Draco in preschool, he didn't like it. I mean, he just, he just didn't respond well. We tried a couple different ones. Either he was bored or he, he just, it just never, it didn't seem to be something that worked for him very well. And I remember thinking, well, I mean, here he knows how to read because I was teaching him stuff at home already. I mean, I, I just, I'm in, I am a teacher in so many ways, so I can't help it. But he responded to that at home so well. And then we tried one more time and think, and it just, but you know what, this is working for now. And, and I'm going to be going off to do this movie and it's actually really convenient that he can come with me. And, and we just said, well, we'll just do it for as long as it makes sense. And it just, he's 10 and it still makes sense. And it's great. We do, we do um, courses now online at a place called next level homeschooling that I really like. He does a lot of science. They even have dissections. It's amazing. You can just order, like we just ordered some, some stuff like a, some different sea creatures to dissect. Mm-hmm. Starvation, a few other things. It's amazing what you can do from home now. And I think everyone's discovering that through the pandemic, but you can even do science class with labs from home. It's and it's wonderful. And the the teacher who teaches these science classes at Next Level Homeschooling is fantastic. Well, that's the beauty is that you're finding all of these different teachers like yourself that are such specialists in certain areas. And now because of the pandemic, they're all coming together and these opportunities are out there. And on top of that, you know, you've got the books, you've sold over a million books, which as I speak to many authors, that's, that's a, that's a very big number. And I mean, there, I I would imagine, I would hope, I, I know that years ago I mentioned to our superintendent and the woman that ran the math department, 
why aren't you using Donna McKellar's books in, in school? And they knew nothing, you know, this particular math person, the uh, woman who ran the department. So I remember ordering a few books. This is about eight, nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and it's now being used in a number of our elementary schools in town. And a lot of parents have, have, have grabbed onto it. So it's, 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 making, it's making such a difference. You know, it really, it, it really is. And it's so, so critical. So you mentioned Hallmark, changing channels for a minute. But I also want to make sure yeah, that, sure. that uh, for parents listening, with the Times Machine now, I uh, can offer books to, like, no matter how, your, how old your kid is from ages zero to 16, I have a book for you, for your kid. And That's if you great. go to mckellarmath.com, there's a big slider button and you can move it from side to side. So based on your child's age, it'll show you which uh, which book is best for you. Oh, that is great. That is great. That is great. So the Hallmark movie is coming up soon. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Sunday, December 6th. It's called Christmas She Wrote. And I'm sure I will be doing all sorts of things on social media about that. So if you follow me, you'll you'll be kept in the loop. Mm-hmm. So we're going to wind up here. There's just two, two little things I just wanted to kind of let ask you before before you go. I'm not going to make you sing it, but I do want people to know um, <laughs> my favorite place in LA is a place called the Apple Pan because I love their pie. But Danica actually has written a song, I think that has 139 decimals in, in it about pi. So if your kids are studying pi, you may want to look that up. I'm sure that's somewhere in, on your channel. It, it will, it, in mckellarmath.com yeah. under fun links, the video you'll see, yeah, Dance of the Sugar Pie Fairy. And yeah. I'll sing it just the very beginning. Okay. okay. You know, how do you resist? I, this is a song that I wrote. I didn't write the melody that would be Tchaikovsky. And I didn't really write the, well, I wrote some of the lyrics. <laughs> anyway. It goes a little something like this. Pi is equal to 3.14159265358979323846261433832795028888. A classic, and, and, a classic. I, think and, I got okay. that right. It's yeah, it's a classic. I uh, I I'm going to add it to my playlist. <laughs> you should. <Definitely. laughs> Absolutely. All right, I always ask this question at the end of the show. Before I do that, I just want to once again thank you for for the work on on the West Wing, which has been my favorite show, and and at least throw that mention in there. And I'm working with Aaron Sorkin, and that whole experience had to be a very special time in your life. But we'll, sure. we'll we'll save that for another time. But Tim Ferriss, who's uh, you know has a podcast and written all these uh, really inspirational books, he has a book called Tribe of Mentors, and and in this book he's asked a lot of different people this particular question, and I I love ending with this. So you are granted a giant billboard. You can put me- any message out there for the world to see, all right? And, and, and you know that they're going to see it. What would it be and why? And I have to answer this immediately. I don't get like- it's a tough question. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's kind of not I fair in the book. People got back to him, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and people would not just see it, but they would internalize it. I mean, I would say uh, you're stronger and smarter than you think you are. I mean, it's, that's a, a simple message, but it's that's a big part of what I encourage girls with in the books is that put the effort in. You're stronger and smarter than you think. And when you put the effort in, that's going to come back to you. You know, I it's a, it's a complicated message. The message really has to do with the fact that society has taught us that we need things to be happy. And there's a good reason for that message. That's because it's how business works. You know, you need this piece of furniture and then your life is going to be amazing. You need this cleaning product. You need this, you need this, you know, makeup product, whatever it is you need. You need this. You need the validation of people on social media. So we're taught that we are not enough and that we need to go to these other places to be 
strong or to be smart or whatever. And you've actually got all that yourself. And it's that message that I, that I teach the, the girls who read my, my books like Math Doesn't Suck and Kiss My Math. And that is that your own, your dreams, whatever they are, are something that you can build to. You don't need other things and other, you build that fortitude and that, that confidence that comes from feeling smart and capable, that feeling of being capable. That's something that you develop on your own by putting time in. You're the one who's in control of that. And once you do that, again, that's something that no one else can give it to you. That's something that no one can take away. And you will have that confidence so that no matter what life throws at you, you can say, it's a good thing I got me on my side and you'll mean it. That's a beautiful message, really. What a, what a beautiful message and, and a billboard that we really, really need big time in, in, our, in our, not just in our country, but in the world today. Danica McKellar, thank you so much for taking time to chat. By the way, she's such a trooper. She pulled her back out yesterday and she's, she's you know, like she's, you know, she's a force and she's here <laughs> and she may have to crawl away from the desk when this is over, but, but uh, she got here and, and, and we really appreciate that. And the work you're doing in helping make math fun for kids and empowering young girls and women that they too can be a math whiz. So her new book, is available uh, everywhere, McKellar Math, Amazon. We're going to link to it. It is called The Times Machine. It is published by Random House Kids. And please check out all of her books because they're really game changers. And thank you very much to David Cass and Alana Gold for helping make this interview happen. To the folks at Resonate Recording who will be editing this show at the speed of sound, which I bet Danica could just tell us what is the speed of sound if I asked her. But our sh that's our show this week. And remember, when saving for your own financial future, read these books, first of all. And second of all, pay yourself first. Stay safe. Have a great week. And be sure to follow us on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much. Thank you.